Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. Thank you for joining us this week. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us. And it's been a sort of a fun continuing project here. And uh, maybe before we get into the more serious content of the um, podcast today, how are you doing, Zach? How are, how are things going? Tell us about your weekend. It was an interesting one. Yeah, I'm still recovering a little bit from <laughs> our weekend away with our middle school group up at Hume Lake uh, Christian Camps, uh, just east of Fresno. Uh, we took our middle school group up there, and it was it was a great time. It was, uh, as expected, it's always a little bit exhausting, all yep. the walking back and forth, and just trying to stay up later than you would like to with a bunch of 7th, 8th, and even 6th graders um, who are eating way too much candy and drinking too much caffeine. <laughs> uh, but it was an awesome time. I had a great time, especially with the other youth pastors that went up from our area. Um, it's always a great time connecting with them more and, and getting to talk shop a little bit with them about what what's going on with their churches as well. So back in the groove a little bit today and looking forward yeah. to the rest of the week. Yeah, and uh, I had a big weekend. I turned 40 this weekend, so hey. uh, <laughs> my birthday was on, That's right. on Sunday, and that was a good day. You know, got some cake at church, some very thoughtful people uh, <laughs> got some cake for everyone and uh, had a little party, but other than that, Awesome. I'm now I'm now 40, so uh, I feel grown up. Um, as uh, the coach of Oklahoma State once said in a famous rant, "I'm 40. I'm a man." And so, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, so we are going to be talking uh, to shift gears quite dramatically, I, I guess, from the lighter fare of introductions into the content <laughs> of the episode. Here we are talking about the the subject of death of. Um, not just thinking about our own death, but um, preparing for times of grief in our life. Maybe that is right now for some people who are listening as you think about a loved one who has died recently or maybe even a while ago and you're still grieving their loss, which is totally understandable and part of life. Um, We're going to be talking about death from sort of a pastoral, practical, and theological perspective um, there's a little bit of a different angle from each of those descriptions. There's a pastoral perspective. What, how do we help people through this mm-hmm. moment in their own lives, or how do we help them through grief? Then there's the practical side that we will talk about that often people have a lot of questions about. Hmm. Um, what is hospice care? What does that even mean? Um, yeah. How yeah. can we start preparing to die um, long before we get into old age um how can we do that in some very practical ways and then of course we'll think about it theologically as well look at some scriptural teaching on the topic of death Hmm. yeah there's a lot of different ways we could go about this and that we probably will go about this as we go um there's sort of diverging thoughts on how we should even address this but um i think we want to address some practical needs as well as some some theological needs as well. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason that it has come up, um, if, if, if I'll just come out and say it, it was, this was my idea to do this episode. <laughs> I had thought um, it walking <laughs> to church the same day that Zach actually oh, uh, first yeah, proposed. I did not it. know that actually. Yeah, that so cool. it's, I guess that has worked out that way. Um, and so Mark has done a, a, well, he did a funeral, um, was it a week ago? Yeah, last, or so? a week ago today, yeah. Um, yeah. And then 
then he also did the the graveside earlier this week. On, oh, that was yesterday. On yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I'm getting it all mixed up. I don't know your schedule, <laughs> and okay. so I just thought, man, okay, yeah, these there's these end of life conversations happening again. This happens uh, with some regularity mm-hmm. um, in our con- congregation, as it does probably for most congregations. There are funerals and there are um, graveside services, and so has just brought up once again uh, these conversations. Death is something we're all going to confront in life, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, those whom we love. Um, mm. And so a lot of my thinking on this has been shaped, I'll, I will say, by a man named Todd Billings, a theologian who has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He has a rare form of blood cancer. So he's written a couple of books on this topic that have been really um helpful for me. I only own one of them called Rejoicing and Lament. Uh, he wrote another one, which the, the name escapes me currently, but it's about the end of life and mortality. Um, and just hearing him and his perspective, I've re- read articles from him. I've listened to interviews that he's done on his story. And he has just impressed upon me the need to think seriously about our mortality. Um, you know, we live in a world where death is often pushed to the outskirts um, of our existence. Uh, This was not the the case even three or four generations ago. Death was a normal thing. Death would normally happen Mm. inside somebody's home. Mm -hmm. That was the the normal way for it to happen. Now death is really institutionalized where most people um, who don't die of traumatic things typically die in a hospital, in in an institution of some sort, whether that's a a medical hospital or it's a nursing home uh, they're not dying at home with loved ones very often and this has been especially the case during the covid pandemic of the past two years uh, where people are often even dying alone inside hospitals without any family to even visit them and so we have pushed Mm -hmm. death to the outskirts even cemeteries are no longer central places in our churches or in our cities uh, or in our churches Mm -hmm. Uh, there's been conversations that Mark and I have had only semi-jokingly about restoring cemeteries to the to churches, yeah. having graveyards and outside of a church where you are walking amongst the dead every week that as you come to church, uh, you are mindful of the church triumphant and the church militant. Um, and, and of your own mortality. And of your mortality well. yeah. and knowing that death is is coming for me. Um, and so that will sound like a, a morbid thing. And I think... Maybe even as you saw the title of this podcast episode, you were thinking, that sounds a bit morbid. But the fact that we even think of this as as being morbid and something that we should really kind of avoid, it's almost Mm. somewhat taboo in our culture to talk about. Um, I think that really speaks to uh, the lack of uh, catechesis on the whole subject of death in general. And so it's something that needs to be addressed and needs to be talked about. Uh, so that we can all face death and mm-hmm. die well, um, die die with confidence in the Lord, yeah. and even though death will come, to, to die with joy and with hope. Yeah, there's so much good that has come from church history on the topic. The Puritans talked about death a lot and heaven a lot. Hmm. Um, found this quote by Richard Baxter. Uh, he talks about how death impacts how we of course think of life certainly how we should think of evangelism 
Um, I'll read the quote. He said, the face of death and nearness of eternity, meaning I'm a, I'm at any moment I could meet the Lord, did much to convince me what books to read, what studies to prefer and prosecute, what company and conversation to choose. It drove me early into the vineyard of the Lord and taught me to preach as a dying man to dying men. Hmm. And so it, there's an urgency to a ministry that recognizes life is fairly short and fragile. Hmm. And um, I, I could say that the Puritans lived with that, that urgency and wrote and taught and preached with that kind of urgency. Um, it's always actually quite refreshing to me to recognize um, or, or to hear people who recognize that life is short and we're going to meet the Lord and they say th- things that are honest. Um Hmm. In my my sermon this past week, I just recognized for one moment it wasn't in my manuscript, but just recognized that um, that there are a lot of bad things that happen in the world, and we commit a lot of sin against the Lord. And let's just pause for a moment and recognize that life is really hard sometimes. And I just saw a lot of people nodding and pausing and thinking, "It's just good to hear that. It's yeah. just good to hear sometimes the truth." Uh, and yeah. that would include, we believe, also the truth that all of us will one day die. And as you said, it can it's culturally taboo to talk about that, but that is a cultural error. That is not the error that we have in talking about it. Um, yeah, we need to, right, to right. break down that cultural taboo because um, we need to be prepared as Christians to face the Lord and First John says, we do not have to be afraid when we're going to go and meet the Lord. Fear has to do with punishment, but his perfect love drives out fear. And mm-hmm. so um, that's the big hope of this, uh, of this episode is that people could think more clearly and more biblically about their own death or the death of loved ones um, mm-hmm. who have gone on before. Yeah, there's a sobering effect yeah. of yeah. death that, that sort of sharpens our, our minds. It sharpens our aims. Um, <laughs> which books to read as Richard Baxter yeah. that, that's that's a good little and who to, who to spend time with who to yeah. who to surround yourself with um, it's it's an overused and a now outdated seriously outdated phrase but YOLO sure. there's something to that you only do live once and so live this life on purpose live it with intentionality mm-hmm. um, and with an aim a, a settled aim um that for Christians should be to glorify God in all that we do, of course. Yeah. Uh, that should be our settled aim. And so having this sense of, of death coming, it's not a dark thought. It's a realistic thought that actually can give us strength and it can mm-hmm. it can sharpen our focus on how we live our lives. Uh, just yesterday as I was thinking about all of this and preparing for this episode, it just made me really appreciate my wife and so mm-hmm. she got home from work and I think I weirded her out a little bit just by <laughs> giving her a big hug and a kiss and saying I love you so much and I want us to continue growing in our marriage and in our love for each other mm-hmm. um, and she was kind of like okay good to see you <laughs> good yeah. evening um, but it just makes us remember what is important about life and there is something really profoundly uh, tr- good about that um, yeah, so it comes from a, watching a good movie where yeah. an important character dies in the movie, yeah. and like um, the movie A Quiet Life is a is an example hmm. of that where um, there's there's this, a very sad, tragic 
um, conclusion to the movie. And that, I, I guess that sort of gives it away, but you kind of know what's coming. And mm. you just finish the film and, and value life uh, a little bit more. And there's any number totally. of movies that where that happens. Uh, the show This Is Us do, does this very well, I think. Um, mm. um, you know that death happens in the show. It's a big part of the the storyline from the first episode, and I'm sure yeah. it will be. It will happen in the last episode as well. And it's very clearly leading up to the death of this mother figure who has kept their life the the lives of these adult children together so long and even if you don't watch this is us even the the previews would enable you to see that this is a serious show yeah and uh, i think at times yeah. it's kind of more like a soap opera and a little bit overly dramatic but overall it uh it's a rare insight into how death is a part of life another show downton abbey would have that as an example where um, one of the beloved characters dies actually a few of them die in the opening seasons hmm. And um, and it ha- it always has that effect for me in watching that show is to walk away and think I'm glad to be alive. It is good. It's a God's gift to me to be alive now, but also that is going yeah. to be me someday. Um, hmm. And uh, I I have that thought also at gravesides when I'm officiating services. I mm-hmm. uh, pastors are not as robotic as we maybe can sometimes appear, and um, hmm. when I officiate a memorial service or a graveside service that certainly has an impact on me especially as i get to know the people of our church and they become closer friends to me Hmm. um that is uh it's a special time but it's also a difficult time to be honest and uh but also really a blessed time when when we sing how great thou art and great is thy faithfulness and the doxology and by the sea of crystal um and uh, we do so as a church, um, hmm. remembering we too are going to meet the Lord. So um, we'll start here with maybe some some practical things to yeah. think about. Uh, these are. This is where you're gonna you're gonna take it away, Mark. Well, this is all gonna be. <laughs> you know, uh, the Apostle Paul advice. talks about grieving as people with hope, and I think maybe part of that is even living with people as people with hope knowing that we are going to die and so we can live as Christians and think Christianly, think biblically about dying. And part of that involves making a lot of practical decisions that are good decisions. Um, Sometimes we can over-spiritualize things, and maybe I'm a little bit guilty of that, of just focusing on the spiritual, sometimes at the expense of just like answering a question, well, what does this really mean? How does this look? So we're going to get into some of those practical things and Really, the first thing that I would say is um, anybody with with children, certainly, um, anybody with in, um, any significant amount of money or real estate or possessions, you need a will. Um, you need to create a, a living will. Um, that's so your loved ones might know how to care for you if you should be in a coma or if you should need some particular medical attention. And also a, a, a typical will, which determines who will take care of your kids if you die and um, where your possessions will go, especially if you own real estate and land, which is something that we see a lot in farming mm-hmm. community. Um, the I once preached blessed are, on Blessed Are the Peacemakers, the Beatitude, and um, in that sermon I spent a good amount of time encouraging people to write a will. 
And so that might seem a little bit odd, but I, I do think it is the work of peacemaking to write a will hmm. and a good one, a fair one, one that does not f- play favorites, um, which happens yeah. in Christian families just like it does in non-believing families, um, and to make your wishes known very openly and honestly with your children, with your spouse, uh, to talk very frankly and openly about where the money is. <laughs> um, all of these things are things that Christians need to do, especially if you have a lot of worldly possessions. Hmm. So, so where would you even go about making a yeah. will for somebody who, who's curious with that? It's different from state to state. So in California, uh, before my wife and I went to England and we got on a plane together and our children were not on that plane with us, we made sure we had a living will and uh, that determined where our money would go, which we don't have a lot of, <laughs> um, and where our, who should care for our children, um, and even how some of that money should be used. And so we have life insurance and said, mm-hmm. uh, we want our life insurance to put our children through Christian school. Like That's what the main mm. purpose of that should be. Um, even if the family where they're going can't afford that, we, we think that that's really important. So just those little mm. things. And so in California, that... We, we typed it up and we got it signed by two witnesses. So Pam and I and two witnesses signed mm-hmm. it actually after church on a Sunday before we got on the plane to England. Um, mm-hmm. So that is permissible in California, but state to state it is different. It can be very expensive, and so you might just want to talk with a financial friend of yours. Um, somebody who's a financial planner can often help you with this. My brother-in-law works at Edward Jones, people who work for Wells Fargo and Charles Schwab and you know, these, these companies can direct you in how to create something like that. And maybe this is just the reminder that especially some of our older baby boomer era <laughs> listeners need to make sure that you have a current will. That is what a Christian does in being a peacemaker even after you die. Yeah. It's an important thing. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with um, an elderly couple from our congregation and I, I was bringing up this topic of death and being pretty open and honest with them, which maybe as a whole other part of this episode yeah. we could do is how how pastors should uh, uh, strive to to make that an ongoing conversation, especially with with mm-hmm. elderly people. Um, but it's really been impressed upon me to do that, and so I, I just sort of addressed it as the elephant in the room, like, "Look, you guys, this you you are getting older, and we need to talk about." about death and they were actually really thankful about it and they said Mm -hmm. that that actually reminded them it was a good reminder to get a lot of things in order that Mm -hmm. they have been meaning to do for a long time and so in our next visit i will be sure to follow up with them to see how that's how that's come and i think one of the things that they mentioned that they needed to do was to make a will and also to go out and to uh, they have d- decided to to purchase plots at the cemetery here mm-hmm. in town, mm-hmm. and so they hadn't done that yet, and they don't want to have to leave that to to the other person when one of them does go if there's an untimely death. Or till when they're sick um, and they can't do it. Right, yeah. and so they, they don't want that added stress, and so they've been meaning to go and get that taken care of now, and so they they were very appreciative to me for having that open and frank conversation. Um, so that could be another thing of yeah. going about uh, planning for planning for your death and so getting your space maybe even um, 
getting a coffin if yeah, you're very close yep. um, or preparing for cremation uh, as well. That sounds really morbid, I know, to people yeah. that, that were suggesting that people buy their coffin. Especially uh, to young people who may be listening, which is probably most of those people who are tuning in. Yeah, but it can be the difference of thousands of dollars if yeah like honestly this surprises people but costco sells coffins yep um you can go to costco.com and find one i, I just went there a little bit ago they're about between 1200 and 1500 dollars and they're a lot more expensive when you go through a funeral home and and i i've told pam many times put me in a, a pine box please um <laughs> I, I i personally don't want yeah. a coffin with all the the glitz and glamour on it. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I think a pine box looks even better than, than <laughs> those fancy ones, but that's just my aesthetic view. Um, the graveside service that I did yesterday had a very beautiful wood coffin hmm. that was uh, just very tasteful, and I, I thought it was was really neat. It, yeah. it sort of reflected the the man um, who was a, a sort of a cowboy um, who was <laughs> being buried in that, that coffin. And so um, even talking about some of those things, um, openly, I, I have these conversations with people in church, and I, I'm thankful that people realize that this moment is going to 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 happen in their lives. And so, to be prepared, hmm. often preparation isn't just for relational um, health, but for financial health as well. So, doing some of those things yeah. in advance and making good decisions instead of decisions in crunch time, where you're just going to get whatever's sort of put in front of you by the funeral home. Hmm. Um, you can be taken advantage of very easily in, in this, these scenarios. And so be wary of that. Uh, hmm. that, that would be some of my other practical advice is funeral homes, um, can, uh, can really take advantage of people financially, uh, can, can become a bit of a racket. And from what I've seen, um, they, they are very expensive, uh, and I know that I recognize that there's a good reason that there is an expense to this because it is a job that not a lot of want, not a lot of people want to do, and yeah. so I'm thankful for the work that funeral home workers do, but at the same time, um, they uh, they can charge very high prices for things that you, particularly if you're a part of a church, could ask friends or family members to do. For example. Um, ushering at the memorial service can cost hundreds of dollars if you ask the funeral home to do it. Creating a video slideshow could cost three or four hundred dollars if you ask a funeral home to do that. And there's a lot of things where you might have friends or family members who want to help with that, and they would love to. They would love it if you just give them 65 photos and they could mm -hmm. scan them and put them to nice music, thoughtful music, yeah. and that saves you three or four hundred dollars that happens a lot in these scenarios and so go to the funeral home with your eyes open and think critically about um, what you are being charged for and um, it's very likely you can cut the cost of a funeral by several thousand dollars by doing hmm. some of those simple steps so yeah you have a lot of other ones here too i think that that is a really good uh, thing to pay attention to, yeah. especially because, yeah, in those moments of grief, you yeah. know, it's easy to be, uh, to just sort of say, Hey, take care of it. Exactly. Don't care what it is. Don't care how much it costs. Just give me the bill at the end. Just, of, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. let me deal with it later because yep. right now I'm suffering through the death of a loved one. Yeah. And so it's kind of a dark side of, of death, if you will. But 
as far as practical things, yeah. which I think are really good to get to, you 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 made a good list here. Yeah, we can. Move I'd love to hear you list them off through. Um, so I would I would say one very practical thing that I've noticed is to plan a memorial service for about seven to ten days after a loved one has died, hmm. and so that window of seven to ten days after they died allows for a good amount of planning to happen and a good amount of travel to happen for people who are hmm. far away while also not waiting too long where the spouse, the children of the person who has died are just kind of waiting, um, have this sort of cloud over them while they're waiting like for yeah. this very emotional day that is going to, to happen. So during COVID, um, it occasionally happened in our church where people had to wait a month, two months before a memorial hmm. service could happen. And that was done for a lot of good reasons. And so certainly I'm not criticizing somebody who would wait that long. But if possible, seven to ten days after somebody has died seems like a good amount of time to, to grieve and to prepare um, a, a nice service um, while not just putting it too far out where it's just this thing that's coming towards me that I know is going to be a, a hard day. So yeah. uh, that's a pretty practical thing that I've noticed seven to ten days after somebody dies seem like a good hmm. time for planning a service. Another one would be that pastors want to help you with planning the service. I know that people, hmm. um, especially people who are a little bit less churched who might just not go to church all the time, but kind of dip their toe in every once in a while. Um, a loved one dies. This happened in our church. A, a, a man died very suddenly, just shockingly. And they felt the weight of the world, whole world was on them. They had to now take care of all these details. And when I was there that day that he died, I, I told them all the things that I would like to help with. And they they just thought that they started hmm. to cry really quickly because they thought that that was just all up to them. And so pastors, churches, friends want to help you. They want to bring food. Hmm. Uh, they want to pay for the catering. You know, um, all of these things are regular occurrences in churches. And so all the more reason to participate in the life of a church so that um, <laughs> when hard things do happen, which will happen for all of us, we'll have a support system, sort of a, a social safety net around us. Yeah. And pastors are, of course, a big part of that too with coming in with, hey, well, here are the four things that we need to plan in the next two days. Go to the funeral home and I'll talk to you tomorrow about a scripture text, all that stuff. Hmm. We, we can help get the ball rolling for people in some very practical ways. Yeah, something else that you mentioned a little bit earlier was about hospice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what are some misconceptions that people have about hospice um, that you think would be helpful to clear up? And I ask you this, I mean, I kind of know it too, but yeah. you do deal more with the death in our church than I do as mm -hmm. as m my main position being with our, our young people. Um, I don't really handle the, the funeral side of what happens here. So I'll be curious to hear what you say. Yeah, well, most people... I would say, don't even know about what hospice is. I didn't know. I'm what wondering it was. if I have misconceptions yeah, now. <laughs> before I became a pastor, uh, I knew that my aunt is actually a hospice nurse, but that's all I knew. I knew that there was a name to the type of nursing that she did, but I had no idea what that really meant. So, hospice care is comfort care, another term for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's care that is given by a professional nurse um, for people who know that they are going to die sometime soon. Mm -hmm. um, 
Usually it's about a month or yeah, less. Um, yeah, a month or, or less. Um, often it's a matter of days or uh, or weeks for people. And a hospice nurse, hmm. you know, just about everybody I've ever gone to on uh, every family I visited with on the day of someone's death, especially if that person has died at home, is just effusive in their praise for the hospice care that they received Mm. because um, a hospice nurse will come often maybe stay sometimes the whole day or throughout the day check in and be able to administer medications like morphine which help people breathe and uh, relieve pain during the final moments of life and that is often very very um, psychologically helpful to both the person who's dying and the, the family member who is with them. And along with that, the hospice nurse can often say, you know, I think this is going to be a few days still, or hmm. it's time to call the family because it looks like they only have a few more hours. They, they see death a lot. And so they can make, uh, often pretty good guesses at how much longer a family has to, to be together and so to, to have those good conversations and to cherish their time together, um, the hospice nurse can really help with that. Hmm. And so calling hospice when somebody learns that, uh, that there's nothing more the doctors can do um, is really a wise move. And I've always seen that people are glad that they had that kind of care. Now, that can happen also in a hospital as well um, or in a uh, a care facility, which which happens for other people also, hmm. but those hospice nurses are are God's gift to um, to people in their final moments in in life. It's a really yeah. wonderful ministry that I know a lot of Christian nurses undertake. So, yeah, I can personally attest to the goodness of of hospice or something that was approaching hospice for my my grandmother when she died. She didn't die in her home; she did die in a hospital. Mm-hmm but it was end of life care that she was receiving for about the last month. She survived longer than we thought she would. Um, but having those opportunities to have those final conversations, I can remember we all wrote letters for her and we went and read them to her. I couldn't make it through mine. I think I cried too much. I had to leave the room and have my sister read it to her. Uh, but having those opportunities are a really good thing. Um, I could imagine some people maybe even pushing back against that in our world to never give up, never mm-hmm. let somebody die. Oh, yeah. um, don't die that way. Just keep fighting. Keep praying for a miracle. Um, yeah. And so I think there's something beautiful in, in hospice of, of entrusting yourself to the Lord, especially if you're a Christian dying, saying, you know what? Death is an enemy, but I will greet it because I know that beyond it, there is something more. Um, there is, this is only a passageway in some sense, mm-hmm. a difficult one, a painful one, yes, but it is a passageway into the beyond. This is why I think in the New Testament, the Bible, the authors often will use the word falling asleep for death. Um, when, when we sleep, sleep is even a little death every day because we're, in the sense that we're giving up, we are entrusting ourselves to to sleep and mm-hmm. the world is going to be kept going by God. God's going to keep being God. I am a creature. I need sleep. I am dependent. I am mortal. And so sleep is very much, I think a good picture of death because mm. death is in the same way as a entrusting of ourselves, or at least it should be. Um, 
the fact that we're going to die should help us to be at peace with that and to make our peace with that um, and to relax and to trust the Lord, to rely on him. And so death and mortality show us our creaturely limitations. Um, And that's, I think that that's a good bridge here then to the more theological side of death. How do we, how should Christians think about death Mm. theologically? What should our relationship with death be? Uh, I think for a lot of people, maybe less so in our modern world, but when we really do think about death, we think of it, as we've said, as a morbid thing, as a terrifying thing, Mm. as something we would rather just not think about. Mm. It's interesting to me that we live in a world today where transhumanism is becoming more and more of a phenomenon where we are trying to scientifically uh, and medically sort of ascend beyond our creaturely limitations. There are attempts to... um, essentially from what I've gathered download brains into Mm. robots that once a person's body dies, they can sort of live on in a robotic form. Yeah. Cryogenic freezings. We're going to keep somebody able to live essentially forever Mm. um, or at least prolong drastically prolong their life. Um, So what does the Bible teach us about death? How should a Christian, uh, think about death. And one question that comes to me in in this discussion, which we can think through together is, is death natural? Hmm. Is death um, just a natural part of life? Uh, how would you respond to that, Mark? I'll, I'll throw that out for you first. Yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism has good things to say about that. Did God create this world, you know, with death in it? Um, and the, the part of the question is, is death originally natural? Hmm. And the answer, of course, is no, that God made the world good, and our ancestors, Adam and Eve, plunged humanity into exile and into death, um, both the, the sort of immediate spiritual death of being separated from God and even the physical death that our mortal lives will one day end. And so yeah. um, it's so important to start there that, God did not make the world um, broken originally, um, but that it is, it's the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. Right. Um, but thanks be to God, he gives us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And so um, I, it might seem like just sort of covering our bases to mention that, but I think it's really important to start there um, knowing that that God's plan is good, God's plan continues um, unfailingly, mm-hmm. and his plan is to, to give hope to people um, you know, who are uh, under the authority of the powers of this world in some ways, to give hope mm-hmm. and resurrection and life to uh, people who are dead in transgressions and sins, as um, yeah. Ephesians says. Uh, so I, we start there, but I think, at, where else would you maybe go with it? Yeah, death is, in some sense, it's natural in, in the sense that, yeah, we all die. It's, a, it's something that we all face. Um, it's a part of life in this fallen world. But theologically speaking, I think you nailed that death is not natural. Um, it's not how things were supposed to be. Um, and so, as you said, death is the result of sin. It's it's um, it's something that has only come up in in a conditional way. It only exists because sin exists. It doesn't, it doesn't 
mean that it necessarily was supposed to exist. In fact, it really wasn't. And the Bible speaks of death uh, with pretty strong language as an enemy that is to be conquered and defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it tells us that death was put to death in the death of Christ. Christ. Through Christ's death, he has overcome the enemy of death. And through his resurrection, we no longer need to fear death because death will not be the end. It will not have the last word. There's an interesting passage from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which often gets used as a proof text um, about the incarnation and about Jesus becoming in every way like us. But it also speaks to this idea of, of death. And so the author writes, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, Mm -hmm. and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so it speaks to this fear of death and to our our enemy of death and our other enemy, the devil, who has the power of death in his possession. And he can use that to to manipulate. And and so we become fearful of death. We become, in, in some sense, slaves to this fear of death and so we do everything we can to live and to survive to fight and scratch and claw our way away from death because we don't we want nothing to do with it Uh, but jesus has come and has destroyed even this fear of death um, and he has destroyed the one who has the power of death and so this speaks of death in rather negative language Um, and then of course this is uh even more powerfully put in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, really in 1 Corinthians 15 yeah. as a whole chapter, which is a really great chapter. Um, but the simple statement that Paul makes is that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then he talks about how death has been defeated. So he can maybe remember the words, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so he's, in a sense, mocking death here. But death is very clearly something that is not good. It's not natural. It is a result of the fall and of sin. And so it is something that the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated and will one day rid existence of. We see this in Revelation where it talks about um, every tear will be wiped from their eyes and death shall be no more. We see that in Revelation 21. And so in some sense, we look at death oppositionally. It's something that we should despise and hate. Um, Hmm. In another sense, I've heard people talk about death as being a friend, a release from this fallen world. That's the end of our time in this fallen world. I don't think that that's theologically accurate. Um, Maybe I could be wrong there. I think we could see our mortality as a friend, the fact that we are totally dependent on God and that we have limitations, uh, but death is not supposed to be seen as a friend. We We can make peace with it in the sense that we can prepare for it and be ready for it. Um, but we should know that one day death will be no more. And that is how it is supposed to be. That's how, that's how all of creation is moving. That's, that's the telos where death will be, um, done away with, and that's going to be a good thing. And so we shouldn't in any sense think of death as a good thing. I, and I think that this helps us actually to grieve too. I think yeah. for me, for example, when my, when my dad died, just knowing that this is not how it should be mm-hmm. and, and knowing that there was theological reason for me to think that way, mm-hmm. uh, that this is, this is a bad, sad, terrible, tragic thing. 
and I don't have to just have a have to have a stiff upper lip, but I can realize that this is just flat out how it how it shouldn't be. This is this is the opposite of of what life should be like, and so knowing that death has been defeated then became one of the most powerful truths for me. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is that verse from First Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Knowing that death has been done away with in Christ. We will still face it, yes, because we have all sinned. We are still sinners. But we will be raised to new life. And so death is is in some sense a passageway to the beyond. And it's it's a it's a it's a finality and an end to the suffering of of this world and of this life. And so we can greet death in a certain sense, but we should see it as an enemy as well. Yeah, that the that last comment that you made really gets to how there are two things that we're thinking about when we talk about dying. There's the act of dying itself and there is what is beyond death. Hmm. And I think that as Christians um, it's good to separate between those two things and recognize mm, yeah. that um, dying is, uh, it's not like it is in the movies. Um, it is it is difficult and, and sad, and sometimes it is that way in movies, but um, when you're actually living in those scenarios with loved ones, a parent, a spouse, um, it is uh, it is incredibly difficult and just emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually, um, to endure through that. And so we would never want to make it sound like it's just this glib thing that we can, you know, well, everyone dies, and so we're going to get to go to heaven. I think it's it's <laughs> yeah. important to recognize the sadness of the dying itself. Yeah. Um, like where Jesus weeps for Lazarus, yeah. who has just died. And I... Totally. Sometimes I wonder why was Jesus crying? Jesus knew he was about <laughs> Lazarus is about to come out of that grave and Jesus knows that in the resurrection Lazarus is going to have new life. He's a follower of Jesus, one of his best friends. Yes, yeah, so why shouldn't he and, just be happy yeah, and Yeah, so excited. why is he crying with Martha and Mary there and all the mourners? Well, I I think he's he's crying. It's maybe a little bit speculative to say this, but he's weeping over the fact of death. Yeah. over the the fact of misery and sin and um all that that includes in in like what the Heidelberg calls this sad world yeah. um and uh so i think separating that from the 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 place we go to from sort of a theology of heaven a theology of the afterlife even of the new creation which is all pure beauty and glory and amazing experience of the presence of God yeah. um, is, is an important thing to do as we, we talk about the matter. Um, where, we, where the Christian goes when you die is a stately mansion. It is the place prepared for you by Christ himself, which is unfathomable to think about how wonderful that is. Hmm. Um, but to, to look past the sadness of dying itself is... Um, dishonest maybe ultimately and it might surprise us then when people are really sad because well you're going to go to heaven (laughs) well your loved ones in heaven yeah no big deal yeah it's it's important to distinguish between those two things and i think scripture does a really good job of distinguishing between the two and in revelation where um there is no more death death and hades are thrown into the lake of fire um 
that that has a dual blessing to it. it that the mm. threat of death is no longer there. So that is a wonderful blessing. Yeah. And um, additionally, not only is the threat of the moment of death there, but that means that nothing is going to ever ruin your experience of the presence of God, which is what we were created and designed to live in. So hmm. uh, Re- Revelation 21 verse 4 is a text that you will often hear at memorial services that we have there the promise of what the new creation will be. He, it is there that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Um, and when it says he will wipe away the tears from our eyes, it's a, it's a kind of a poetic way of saying you won't have a tear in your eye. There won't, will be no more reason to cry. Um, there, will, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the former of things has passed away. So the threat of death is gone forever in hmm. the new creation. So uh, that, that's a little bit of where we go theologically any more further theological points yeah i just was gonna jump on that and say that this really helps us to process through our grief i think too having having a strong understanding of what death is from a theological perspective can allow you to feel those mixed feelings of Mm -hmm. absolute joy and absolute grief all at once that is the the strange feeling that christians encounter when a loved one dies, uh, when they die in the Lord, you know, yes, I am absolutely joyful that my, my father has gone to be with the Lord and that he is in the presence of Jesus and that I will one day join him and that we will be raised together at the last day. Mm-hmm. That brings me great joy and I look forward to that. But I also, because of what the Bible talks about when it refers to death, I feel comfortable and I don't feel like a bad Christian for grieving and for being really sad and for seeing my mom be really sad. I don't think of her as being less of a Christian. Um, And so having that, that duality to the the understanding, um, I think helps us to to process through it um, in a really healthy way in the best way. Um, And so, and I guess the one last thing I would I would add then is that death, as we've sort of said, is not a separating feature. It does not pull us away from the love of God. Of course, we see this very clearly said in Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, mm-hmm. uh, where Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And one of, uh, one of those things is not death. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Or even Psalm 23, the beloved classical psalm. Uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, uh, for you are with me. And so this idea of God being with us even through uh, through death, death not being something that can pull us from him. And so hmm. that, that should give us great assurance, especially for those who who know they're dying, that this, what's, what's coming will separate me for a time from those here in the world below and the, the earth below. Mm-hmm. but it will not separate me from the love of Christ who will be with me always and forever. That is a great promise and that should give us great heart and strength and courage as we consider our own deaths, especially if we have the opportunity to know that death is coming um, and it yeah. doesn't happen suddenly. Uh, that should that should enliven our hearts, I think, knowing that. Yeah, well maybe as we start to close, I, um, 
I think it's neat that uh, that our listeners would stick with us for uh, this long of a conversation on the topic. And if you've done <laughs> so, you are preparing well to face your own death someday um, by trying to think about it biblically. Um, the more a person does this throughout their whole life, the more prepared you will be to die well and um, even to give uh, give, con- give give a display of confidence to doctors who give you um, a difficult diagnosis someday or family members who might not be following the Lord. This is one of the greatest testimonies of the Christian is to die well, to die hmm. with confidence, to be honest that um, we don't have to be happy about dying. There's no, uh, right. there's no command in the Bible to pretend that um, that we're not sad, but at the same time, certainly there is that uh, that command to be kept pure and blameless until the coming of Christ, and mm-hmm. that will look like uh, a confident, faithful, um, looking towards Christ even during those really difficult moments. So. Um, I guess I would just want to start to wrap things up by saying yeah. that the more we think about dying, even saying the word death, um, in a Christian context, in a biblical context, the more prepared we will be for that moment ourselves. And this is not happening in a lot of churches. Just to be really blunt, to be really honest, that um, churches whose goal is to make people feel good, to make people excited, to put on a good presentation and a good show and to be a good business are not preparing people to die well. They, uh, it was a tradition in hymn writing for many, many years to include that the last verse of a hymn would be either about dying or about the return of Jesus, the new creation, hmm. heaven. And it's extremely unfortunate in my view that that practice has has gone away largely. There are some good songs still being written that would include um, the moment we meet the Lord, um, the moment where even uh, Amazing Grace, right? Has my faith the... becomes sight. Yeah, um, and and those are those are. It's it's just sad to me that Christian musicians and songwriters and even pastors um, are turning a blind eye to this thing that is such a big deal in the Christian life is, mm. is thinking about your own mortality. So um, with our own kids, we do sing hymns like Jesus Paid It All that has a verse about dying. And yeah. we sing that together. And we, we're not singing it to them and then unpacking about how they feel about dying right after. We're just <laughs> trying to plant in their minds that um, yeah. Jesus died and he is risen. We're going to die and we will be risen just like Jesus. Just basic, simple gospel truths that um, yeah. even as, as our kids start to grow up and they hear the Lord's death proclaimed, and hmm. wow, and then there's the solution. He rose from the dead, and that's my solution too. Um, the more we get away from that, the less prepared we are to actually meet the Lord. Yeah, that's that's something I think about. I was a youth pastor. Yeah. As well, oh, man, as, for sure. even though it's a strange topic to broach with teenagers, it's a absolutely essential topic to broach. Uh, and so, thankfully for us, the catechism does that well. Yeah, the it helps us to well. interface and yep. to think about our death. And so, yeah, we hope that even though this has been maybe more of a quote-unquote morbid topic, uh, that ha- has been encouraging to you and has stirred you to think about how you live your life even in the here and now, even if death you don't think is anything imminent for you, 
yeah. uh, but to live your life in light of, in, of eternity mm-hmm. uh, and to seek to glorify God in all you do. So again, we thank you for listening to this yep. rather long episode, and we look forward to being back again with you all next week. All right, see ya. Grace and peace, you guys. Yeah.